0: Good morning, dear Intriguer. Well, it's bye-bye, Birdie. Twitter's new name, officially unveiled yesterday by Elon Musk, is X. I'm sure it'll catch on in no time. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue senior editor, Valentina Calvi, to discuss Ecuador's growing crime crisis and the wildfires sweeping across Greece. It's all coming up. morning, Val. How are you?
1: Hi, Ethan. I'm doing fine. You know, somehow I always end up being in Italy when we record, but I promise my primary residence is London. I, I really am not lying about that.
0: <laughs> they really need to start some sort of dedicated shuttle for you to get back and forth between Milan and Italy. You know I'm, I'm sure Milan and in, in
1: London. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I, uh, I would subscribe to that so hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to the folks at, at Ryanair. Uh, So for this first story, we are headed to Ecuador, which Val, it's seeing a pretty concerning crime wave.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, organized crime is, you know, a common problem in countries around the world, but it's been particularly hard, and a a particularly hard challenge in Latin America. I think Mexico's ongoing problem with cartels is quite well documented, and most you know, almost everyone knows about Colombia's history of drug production and trafficking. Um, but Ecuador never had much of a crime problem. You know, for decades, it was considered one of the safest countries in the region. And some people's even, refer, uh, even referred to it as the island of peace, because it w- it you know had bucked the trend of neighboring Peru and Colombia, which are the world's largest cocaine producers. But unfortunately, over the last five years, Ecuador's homicide rate has soared, you know, 300%, three times over. Um, and the country now has the region's fourth highest homicide rate higher than both Mexico and Colombia, you know, let that sink in. Um, And that new normal was on full display display over the weekend when the mayor of the city of Manta was killed during a public event.
0: Do we know why the mayor was killed?
1: Well, uh, authorities haven't listed an official motive, um, but in all likelihood it wasn't random and, you know, almost certainly uh, an assassination. And that makes Manta's mayor just the latest Ecuadorian politician to be assassinated or nearly assassinated. A candidate for Congress was killed in an apparent robbery attempt last week. A city councilman was assassinated in the city of Esmeraldas last month. And another mayor narrowly escaped an assassination in May on his first day in office. Wow.
0: And that's shocking. Uh Yeah. Val, what's what's behind this surge in killings? I mean, we've been following Ecuador's political crisis. Is that also driving the violence?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that's certainly a part of it, but it also could be the other way around, right? That this out of control violence has totally destabilized Ecuador's politics. You know, it's basically a vicious cycle. Um, But let's come back to that in in a little bit. Um, So the violence is really being driven by a perfect storm of internal and external factors. So the primary external factor that experts point to is actually the landmark peace agreement between the government of Colombia and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. FARC. Now, you may be wondering why a peace agreement in Colombia would be contributing to violence in Ecuador, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that peace agreement was signed in, in 2016. I absolutely am wondering why it's driving violence in Ecuador in 2023.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it is sort of odd, but basically before 2016, um, the FARC had a total monopoly on trafficking routes from Colombia to Ecuador's ports, where it maintained a pretty firm control, right? Um, And it worked hard to limit violence in order not to draw too much attention to their operations. Basically, it was a monopoly. Uh, But when they signed that peace agreement and agreed to demobilize, a swarm of armed groups in Ecuador battled to fill in that power vacuum and take control of the drug trade. And those battles are continuing today.
0: And the internal factors?
1: Right. Well, one of them was an earthquake in Western Ecuador in 2016, right, the same year, um, along the coast. uh, And, you know, that ended up requiring the government's direct Um, aid and a lot of state resources like police officers and military personnel to those affected cities um, where drug cartels were operating. You know, that also kind of sounds like a good thing, but this caused the cartels, which were once easier to track um, because where they were concentrated in, you know, a few hotspots to kind of spread across the country. So that essentially made it Harder to fight them, um, and the other internal factor was a huge drop in the global global price of oil, which is Ecuador's largest export. Basically, that caused the economies to slump and left Ecuadorians with fewer opportunities, uh, you know, on the on the job market essentially. Not to mention the destabilizing effects of COVID too.
0: Right. Well, so let's go back to the crisis in Ecuador's political system. How have elected leaders responded to this?
1: Well, they've consistently failed to respond. um, And a lot of those policy failures took place before 2016, while the country was still in an island of peace right uh, mode. um, And they've made it that much harder to respond to the surge in violence. They weren't prepared, basically. So when Ecuador's current president, Guillermo Lasso, tried to respond in February through a constitutional referendum, it was basically too little too late. Um and he's lost so much political credibility during the course of this crisis that he was forced to dissolve the national assembly in May and call for snap elections because of the backlash. Um, unsurprisingly, every candidate in that presidential election has listed crime as their top issue. Um, you know, and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Ecuadorians elevate the person who promises to crack down on crime the hardest. You know, um, someone similar to Nayib Bukele in El Salvador who's been willing to go to extreme length and, you know, basically suspend uh, a few, actually more than a few civil rights in order to really crack down on uh, organized crime.
0: Today's show is sponsored by Drizzly. Drizzly is the largest online marketplace for alcohol in North America with over 100 million customers. And they're there for life's most important moments and the people that create them. Drizzly partners with thousands of retailers in more than 1,400 cities to empower them to grow their businesses and make the good times even better. Save $5 on your first order when you click the link in the show notes. All right, welcome back. So Val, I know you've got something on your mind, but since you're new here, mind if I go first?
1: Absolutely. Now it's my turn to ask her questions.
0: <laughs> oh, you've been you've been eagerly awaiting this this chance. Okay, well, I'm thinking about Hun Manet, the son of Hun Sen, who just won yet another term as Cambodia's prime minister. That's Hun Sen won another term as prime minister after elections on Sunday. Now, I don't think. Many people were surprised by the outcome of the election. After all, Hun Sen has ruled Cambodia in one form or another since 1985, and he pretty much dissolved the entire opposition in the months leading up to the election. So no surprises. But what has been surprising is, contrary to some of Hun Sen's earlier promises to stick around until at least the next election in 2028, he suggested last week that he might start transferring power to his son, Hun Mane, who I mentioned earlier— as soon as next month.
1: Okay, wow. So we could be at the tail end of his 38 years in power. What's the story with Han Manet?
0: Well, yeah. Well, Han Manet, let's start Hit. Let's start with him. Han Manet is a West Point educated soldier who's been the commander of Cambodia's army since 2018. Great qualifications for a military leader, perhaps, but he lacks a lot of political experience. Uh, and, and so... <laughs> To your, to, the, to the premise of your question, that means Hun Sen probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Even if he relinquishes the title of prime minister, he's made pretty clear that he won't give up much of the power. Uh, and I think the fact that he's transferring the title of prime minister to his son is pretty indicative of that. I mean, parliamentary systems, even parliamentary systems in name only that have been totally captured by an individual or a group of individuals... Those rarely become dynasties, but that's where Cambodia is headed. Uh, and I think Hun Sen summed it up best. He said recently, quote, I will become father of the prime minister after 2023 and grandfather of the prime minister in the 2030s, which means he's he intends to stick around for a long time. And his wow. son, Hun Mane, may only be around for about a decade as prime minister.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was pretty brazen. He said it, you know, quiet pa- quiet part out loud, didn't he's,
0: he? <laughs> he's been doing that quite a bit for quite a few years. But Val, what's, what's on your mind?
1: Yeah. So my mind is on Greece, where authorities are in the middle of the country's biggest evacuation um, and have already moved over 19,000 people on the islands of Rhodes to get them away from wildfires. So... Most of them were tourists in hotels and summer accommodations, but unfortunately, locals have been forced out of their homes, too. You know, there are pictures of people sleeping in gymnasiums floor, you know, just waiting to be evacuated all over the Internet. So definitely not the way you'd like to spend your time on an idyllic Greek island. Now, you know, wildfires aren't abnormal in Greece by any means, um, but They've recently become much more violent and destructive. For example, the wildfires on roads, the one we're talking about right now, they've been burning for seven days straight. But the firefighters can't seem to stop the flames. You know, and this isn't the only wildfire e- Wildfire either. There are scores of active blazes around the country as we speak.
0: And what's to blame here? I mean, is this climate change in action?
1: Well, there are a lot of reasons why wildfire seasons across the globe seem seem to be getting you know worse. Some of it might be a failure of forest management. But, you know, Bottom line is yes, scientists are pointing to climate change as a culprit. European summers are getting hotter and hotter. Temperatures in Greece hovered around the 45, 44 mark Celsius, um, 112 Fahrenheit over the weekend, which is very hot. Um, And that means that the land is getting drier and drier, creating the perfect conditions for wildfires to spread far and wide. And those, you know, oceanside Greek winds that Greece is so famous for don't help either. And the cost of these wildfires are quite high. Obviously, whatever the fires destroy has to be rebuilt or fixed. That comes at a cost. And then you've got environmental costs and health costs too. And you know, cherry on top is that Greece relies on tourism to bring in around 25% of its GDP. That's a very, very high percentage. So if wildfires become more frequent and more dangerous, you might get vacationers who might be dissuaded from coming back to visit in the future. Um, I guess if there is one silver lining, it's that these sorts of emergencies can bring countries together. Firefighters from the Czech Republic, France, and Turkey have flown in to help with the emergency efforts in Rhodes. And there are also a lot of stories of locals helping out some of the stranded tourists. So hopefully with lots of help from Greece's neighbors, these files will soon get under control.
0: Well, I appreciate you ending on a, on a silver lining there, Val, because... Yes, tragic, tragic story all around. Actually, we picked three tragic yeah. stories. Uh, I don't way. know
1: where our mood is. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but I guess summer is for the blues, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it is the, the absolute dog days of summer. But to your point, Truly. Greece sent uh, uh, rescue crews to Turkey after the earthquake there in, in February. Turkey's now reciprocating during these fires. So we could see... Uh, these two historical enemies start to mend some ties. So here's to hoping.
1: Here's to hoping. I agree. And, and you know, wherever this goes, at least we can hold on to these stories of, of friendly cooperation, yeah. regardless of what happens.
0: And and here's to hoping uh, that we get that that shuttle set up for you from a launch.
1: Yeah. And here's to hoping that next next uh, edition we'll have um, more positive stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. A, a hopeful, a hopeful episode.
1: Absolutely. Let's end it like that.
0: And that's going to do it for me. By the way, U.S. President Biden has a new cabinet-level secretary, and we are giving him the full intrigue profile treatment. Check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see who it is. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday.